Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and today my guest is Eileen Martin. Eileen is a healthcare executive who has a global impact with respect to driving change in corporate social responsibility and employee engagement. She is super inspirational, and I have to admit, I learned a lot through talking with her, and I think you will too. So let's get started. Thank you for joining me today. Would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself and helping me understand what your place in the healthcare ecosystem is? That sounds great. Thank you, Joy. So I'm Eileen Martin. I'm the Global Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at EMD Serono. We're a healthcare company, and our parent company is Merck KGAA out of Darmstadt, Germany. Okay, so you must have a large footprint, I would imagine. And when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, it says, you know, global director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So can we talk about what that, does that mean that you get to be responsible for DEI all over the world? (laughs) Yes. So my responsibilities include Latin America, Asia Pacific, Europe, North America, And the focus for my role initially was gender parity. And of course, it has grown to all facets of diversity, equity, and inclusion beyond gender parity into the race and ethnicity space, the LGBTQ space, inclusion, belonging, unconscious bias. All of that came under my wheelhouse after I was appointed to this role. Our CEO, Belen Garijo, has always been such a staunch supporter of diversity, equity, and inclusion. She herself is such an incredible role model 
as one of the only female CEOs on the DAX in Germany. So what are some of the different problems that, how is it different perhaps in Germany or Latin America? Like what are the different challenges with DEI? I imagine it's not the same as, it might be similar, but not the same as what we experience in the States. It's such an interesting question because of course the race piece is incredibly challenging in North America and, and we don't have that as much of a challenge in other countries. But I will caveat that by saying in China, for example, most pharmaceutical companies have many Asian talent, but they don't have Asian talent in leadership. They typically import their talent from Europe in many of the Asian countries in leadership and healthcare companies. It's imported European talent. So we're trying to flip that and we're trying to get more Asian nationals into leadership within our organization. And the same thing for women in leadership. Women in leadership in North America, we're making strides here, but in you know places like Latin America and China, there are different barriers. Germany, you brought up as a great example. Angela Merkel, when you know she came into office, we felt that Germany and getting more women into leadership was just going to flip on its head with having her being in charge of the country, when in fact, we haven't seen a lot of changes for the women in Germany because there's still this culture, economics, rules on the books that actually date back to the Hitler era, that actually, culturally, women who have children and go back to work are called raven mothers. Ravens leave their babies in the nest. There's, and there are actually laws on the books that are tax advantages for women staying at home after they have children. So each country, you have to go in and really problem solve where you're at and where the country is at and where the culture is at. That is so interesting. And so I imagine there's perhaps sounds like a stigma tied to women who go back to work. It's a really strong stigma, particularly in Germany. And also, we also see women in India struggling with, yes, they might be supported going back to work, but they still have that extraordinary burden. We call it, we have an initiative called Embracing Carers. They're still doing the large part of the caregiving. They're still doing the laundry and the meal preparation and the doctor's appointments for the children and meeting with the teachers. Places like India, women are still disproportionately carrying that burden more so than even in America. So how do you balance like what gets to be the top of your priority list? Where do you spend your efforts? Yeah, so that's a really great question. And when I first came into this role, it was gender because that's 50% of, of the population. We've made incredible strides in that space. So when I first came into this role, we roughly had about 34% women in what we call our leadership role levels, which is director role level and above. And we're currently at 42%. And we've done a lot of self-examination of our data, what countries we're doing well in, what leaders are, are doing well for recognizing the talent of women in their, on their teams. We've examined succession plans. We've employed executive sponsorship programs. So sponsorship is different than mentorship in that the sponsor is responsible for advocating, providing air cover, and advancing that talent. So it's like mentorship on steroids. So within the space of women in leadership, we had tremendous growth of the women in our program. Most recently, we launched it in China about a year ago, and it was a very small cohort in China to have more Chinese nationals in leadership. Six out of 10 of the high potential Chinese talent have already seen a career advancement in the first. Yeah, it's incredible. So looking at succession plans, employing executive sponsorship, employing executive coaches has really helped us tease away at the problem and looking at succession plans blatantly by gender and by race and looking at our data every month 
We look at our data every month and review it with our top leadership. I love that. So it's been a conversation recently just around like, how do organizations remain accountable for their DEI goals? And it sounds like you guys are doing exactly what, I mean, the research says needs to be done. You make it something that you measure on a regular basis and try to make incremental improvements. Absolutely. Healthcare companies, science companies, we make data-driven decisions all day long. And diversity, equity, and inclusion should not be any different. That you should be measuring your progress. You should have aspirations. You should be measure- benchmarking yourself against your competitors. And that's what we're doing in the space right now. Now, one thing I'm really curious about is, and I don't know how to frame this accurately, but this is what's on my mind. And it really has to do with well, men who have been in positions of power for a really long time because of the way that the rules have just been set up. How do you manage or how do you navigate them feeling like they're losing something by women gaining something or any other minority gaining something? There's a little bit of like, how do you make it feel like a win-win, like we're not taking something away from them? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think when my colleague and I first started Women in Leadership that we thought, okay, this is going to be for women, by women, no men involvement. This is going to be like our sorority at work. And we almost instantaneously realized that was going to fail because we needed men as allies. I'm really proud that one of my colleagues, his name is Christoph Marr, a very unlikely ally. He is a white European German male, German national, but living in America. And he started Women in Leadership Allies and was getting the guys together to really tackle the problem and be part of the solution and to get more people to come to our summits and to get people to be more involved and to get the white male as an executive sponsor, as an ally. And I think when we're very definitive, when we say we want the best person to get the job, we do not want to compromise quality for gender parity ever. But there are a whole heck of a lot of talented women out there who deserve an equal opportunity. And that's what we're working towards. I love that. Okay, so name that or name the, the club again. Is it the- So yeah, so it's an internal network. It's Women in Leadership Allies. allies. And what they started off with when Christoph started that organization, it was purely on gender parity. And now allies are trying to also link up with our LGBTQ employee resource group as well as our Leaders of Color, Black Leadership Network, North American Asian Network, and our OLA, which is our Latinx and Hispanic uh, ERG. I love that. So is that, okay, I know it's internal and something you guys are using within your organization, but is it something, is it a model that could be shared? Is it something that other people could pick up on? Because, hey, we could look at your organization as doing a really good job in their efforts and leading the way for other folks to follow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because what we found is that men would say, what do you want me to do? What can I do? And we started training them on unconscious bias and how to uh, amplify a woman's idea in a room and how to be consciously aware of the female talent around them and how to nudge women gently. When you see an opportunity on your team and you think, God, Joy would have been a really good fit. I wonder why she didn't apply. Joy's waiting to be asked. A lot of times women are waiting to be asked. And I love to compare the analogy that we waited to be asked to go to the prom. We waited to have somebody ask us to dance. We waited for our partners to ask us to marry them. Women have to stop waiting to be asked. We have to nudge each other. We have to lean into our allies to to nudge us ourselves. 
And we have to also pull together. I always say I, I pull from behind until my arms are about to fall off. And with, with a very heightened respect for women of color as well. Because as our numbers increase in the boardroom as CEOs, it's white women who are advancing and our sisters of color are largely being left behind. So we need to advocate for them as well. I love that. I love that it's just creating an example because it's someone thing to just talk about it and say, this is what we want to do. And it's an entirely different thing to actually take the action steps and show people basically stop talking, just show them instead of telling them. I, I really, truly love that. And I also, the thing that's coming up for me is in learning how to communicate what it is you want or going after something that you dream of, you also have to get better at hearing the rejection or no. Like it's okay to ask and be told no, but that doesn't mean you should stop asking. Absolutely. And ask for the feedback. How could I have shown up better? What should I do next time? I'm in the process of helping a woman at our organization who's applying for a very big role. And what I'm most proud of is that she's going for it. But what makes me even more proud is that one of our white male European leaders picked up the phone and said, here's an opening. I think you should go for it. So those are the actions that men can take to bring gender parity forward. I love that. And I, there's got to be more of ways. And it's something I've been actively working on too, of like, how do you bring people in on it? How does it become something that they get excited about and not feeling like something is being taken from them, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, instead of it being like, oh, you're losing seats at the table, like hopefully we're just creating a longer table. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's in fact what a lot of the companies are doing in North America. They're adding women to the boards. It's not women gain one, men lose one. It's just make the table longer and bring some folding chairs. I love that. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> can you, I really do. Can you speak a little bit about some of your big wins? Like maybe in countries around the world where you just feel like, oh, that was, I don't know, something that, to be proud of. Yeah, I would say there, there are so many that our company, it takes a village and there are so many countless volunteers in our organization who take this work on top of their full-time job. I would say in North America, for example, the colleague of mine who we were on an action team. So our CEO had a women in leadership action team that I was leading and it was executives around the world to identify what can we do to get more women into leadership. So let's take women in leadership and let's launch a leaders of color action network. They got a leader from each one of our three sectors to all pitch in on that day and say, this is important to us. We're going to stand strong on this topic. And thank goodness we did that because then the company was able to embrace the shock that this country has felt in the last 18 months after the murder of George Floyd. And that group really served as a safe haven and and a great space, not just for our talent of color, but also for allies who said, this is a horrible time in our country. How do I help? So that's when, that was an incredible win that we couldn't have seen coming. Now we have Will in Asia Pacific. So to see this initiative that's now gone around the globe all the way as far as India, Latin America, many countries in Latin America, in Asia Pacific is really something to watch. And we're using the same structure as we have in North America. So we have a core team of women, and then we have sub teams who are working on things like Will Summit, Will Allies, Will Talks, Will in the Field, because we have so many people out in the field in the pharmaceutical space, and that structure is working around the globe. It's so important for people to just be seen. A lot of times it's to do, just to be acknowledged that they exist and that they're okay in their existence 
and that they're included in the larger scheme of things, just to be part of something. (laughs) To be seen and to be heard. That's all anyone ever really wants and to be valued. Exactly. um, And feel that sense of belonging. Yeah, it's really important. The psychological sense of belonging. Super interesting uh, data that has come out recently. I I, want to say it was Fortune or Forbes or Harvard Business Review, but the hybrid work model, that there are some call-outs for the hybrid work model, particularly for women who are embracing carers. They're they're doing more of the caregiving. I know myself, I've had to jump in with sick parents periodically, working full-time, having my own children. It's quite a burden. And at the same time for women who right now are experiencing hybrid work, it seems to be working well for them. For black and brown people, some people don't want to go back to the office because maybe they're working in a place that they don't have that psychological safety. So the hybrid model maybe isn't going to work for them. So just being sensitive to who the hybrid model is working for, is it working just for the white male who has a stay-at-home person at home taking care of everything so that they can show up at the office 100% of the time? And are we going to promote that person just because we see him Mm -hmm. versus his output for somebody who's really essentially working their full-time job and then the part-time job of caregiving on top of all of that. Yeah, I can So that's just a call out. I love that. I can relate to that with our team. We have a lot of moms, some single moms and people that are doing the, you know, consulting work with us. And it's been nice to know that there's the flexibility that ultimately what we care about is, did the job get done well? Not did it happen between these certain hours and did I get to monitor you or see you do it? Because that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. No. Did you ever hear about that study where somebody switched the name on their email? And so that that way that it was coming from a male name instead of a female name and that the response between clients was totally different. It's remarkable. There's actually Boston Symphony Orchestra has done auditions where the women not only are behind a curtain, because they found that they were just struggling with getting lead violinists and leads in the orchestra. And they wanted more women, but Lo and behold, they couldn't find them. So they started to do auditions behind a curtain. They found that wasn't enough. So they actually had them blinded and shoes off because you could hear the cadence of women's heels coming in. And lo and behold, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, now that's unconscious bias at work, but systemically changing the way that you do things to level the playing field. Yes, I. it's so smart. And it's not like when you come at it from that framework, it's not that difficult to get different results. And it must be mind-blowing to see, to have your eyes opened. Of, oh, I didn't even, uh, to, switching from unconscious to conscious bias or just being conscious of it. Be like, oh, it's a huge awakener. And anyway. It is. It is. Yeah, there's a, a Harvard implicit bias test that you can Google and take that. And you can take it, in different arenas. You can take it for LGBTQ, body image, gender, and you'll be surprised at some of the results. And they're aggregating the results, of course. So it's pretty cool and pretty powerful. And there's also a lot of good data on unconscious bias through Lean In as well that's out there. And PricewaterhouseCoopers has some great unconscious bias videos that are free. Okay. We'll point people, we'll point listeners to them. I'd like to know a little bit about you and your personal journey. And one thing I would like to know is, did you have any idea that this would be your job when you were a kid, right? Like when you were a 10-year-old, think of what you're doing now. Oh my gosh. 10-year-old Eileen, all she wanted to do was own her own dance studio. And I just would have thought that was absolutely amazing. And now I got into this space because I saw a problem and I was solutions-oriented And now I feel very privileged to be working in a job 
that I'm passionate about, that I can have an impact on people's lives, not just within the organization, but outside the organization. And it, it really is quite a privilege. It really is. And I, I, if I would have told that 10-year-old self, you can do anything, you can be anything. That's what I want young women to hear. You can do anything, you can be anything. And don't be limited by your upbringing, by your education, because people see your talents and you can do anything. Well, then I'll fast forward to what advice would you give to your 23-year-old self? Somebody who's a little bit, has a little bit more education under her belt and life experience. You know, what, if you could have a conversation with 23-year-old Eileen, what would you tell her? Would it be the same advice? I would, I would tell 23-year-old Eileen, try to get mentors, try to get more sponsors, follow your strengths, always lean into your strengths. People love to point out our weaknesses, but let's really talk about leaning into our strengths. And to this day, I feel like what made me successful in my job at 25 is why I'm successful now. I'm, I'm passionate. I'm a collaborative leader. I lead with my head and my heart. And I would say that I was probably doing that in my initial jobs. I had the sneaky advantage of my first job out of college working for an all-women's agency, the YWCA in Springfield, Massachusetts. And it was all-female staff. Our board was female. Our executive director was female. So that really set me up for success in the future. And of course, that wasn't realistic that the rest of the world was going to be like that. But it certainly gave me the backbone that I have today. I can totally relate to that because my first job out of college was also with an all-female organization. I got to work for a women's surfing magazine, like professional surfing. (laughs) And it was like a women editorial, women in marketing, women in the photography section. And it was just, it was so cool to be surrounded by not only like professional women within our organization of what we were writing about and sharing the stories, but also following women professional athletes around the world. That was very empowering for me as a young 20, in my early 20s. It's incredible. It really is. And it's unfortunate that we can't give everyone that experience. But I would say that whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're gender dysphoric, there's always the opportunity to amplify somebody else. And if somebody has a good idea in a meeting on Zoom, the Obama administration, the women in the Obama administration really brought this to the forefront of how important amplification is. So if somebody in the administration was a woman, she had a good idea. Another woman would say, really like Joy's idea. Here's why. And another person would pile on. And suddenly the women were getting more traction in their careers, getting more visibility, and of course, getting credit for their ideas. So we can amplify each other. And we should be amplifying each other. And yeah, there are some things that we probably learned in high school that need to be unlearned. Competitiveness and comparing ourselves to women. No, we can, there's unlimited light out there. We can all shine. And I also really like your idea of basically turning around and helping whoever's behind you. And and that can be different for everybody, no matter where you are. So for male allies, amplifying women. For white women, amplifying women of color. And going down the LGBTQ spectrum of just like, who, wherever you are, we all have some form of privilege, whether we're aware of it or not. How can yes. you turn around and help the next? Absolutely. Person? And I think that's when mentoring and sponsorship really come into play. And you can mentor in the workspace, but you can mentor outside of the workspace too. I don't do any like official mentorship 
But I feel like I'm out there and like playing this and godmother role in a lot of unofficial ways where I'm like, oh, I'm teaching my next door neighbor how to drive and they never carved pumpkins before. And I'm like, come on, we're going to go do that. And, you know, that's a mentor. Yeah, that's a mentor. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't need to have a formal structure. But if you're positively impacting somebody else's life, you're mentoring them. It does feel good. And I just love the concept. Yeah, it feels great. And I feel like it's more for just as much for me as it is for them. It just, it's a real feel good activity. It is. Yeah. I love that you've turned your career into something that must feel pretty good. I hope you sleep well at night knowing all of the impact that you're making. I do. I really do. And there's still more work to be done. And we need everyone to be at work in this space, not just the folks who have a diversity, equity, inclusion title. Yeah. We need the allies. We need the people in power. And together, we'll get there. But it's just going to be keeping our foot on the gas pedal. I agree. And before we close, there's one thing that showed up for me in going back into conferences. Because I feel like when I first started this podcast, it was really driven by not having enough women on the stage, of not really having a voice when it came to healthcare and health IT that were like, hey, we're only listening to a certain spectrum of people. And that's not reflective of the the real world. And as I've been going back to conferences, I noticed that there's this more women on the stage, but then I'm also turning around and looking, okay, who's in the audience and who's listening to those women on the stage and trying to have a bigger conversation. And one thing that I'm struggling with is, okay, if there's now an all-woman panel, we now are sometimes preaching to the choir because you'll look back and it's all women in the room. And that's great. It's amazing to have the camaraderie and the support of one another. But ultimately, we need more men and male allies to be listening. Otherwise, like, what good is it going to do? Do you have any advice on that? Because I'm like, that's the next door I want to break down. (laughs) And it's, it's such a perfect question because we have a Women in Leadership Summit every year. And we felt that way the first year. We thought, okay, we're just preaching to the choir. So through Will Allies, their job was to get more male leaders, not only on stage, but also in the audience to hear what it's like and to hear about the struggles and hear what we need. And I think you need to have the balance on the panel. You need to have a balance in the audience and you need people who are willing to hear and listen. Okay, there's still plenty of work to be done, but I am grateful for you and all that you're doing. So uh, thank you for taking this time to spend with me for the opportunity to get to know you. If people want to work with you, follow you, or somehow even be mentored by you or, or follow their organization's lead, what would be the best way for them to do so? Fantastic. I am always um, checking my LinkedIn profile. So it's Eileen Martin. It's, it's a much younger picture of me, but that's okay too. I'd be happy to help people set up an employee resource group, give them some direction. This is where we don't really compete. This is a space where we all benefit from each other's best practices. So it would be my privilege. I really love that concept. I might reach out to you for that so that I can share it with a broader audience and we'll go from there. Fantastic. (laughs) That would be great, Joy. Thank you. Yes. Thanks again, Eileen. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. 
Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.